Anyway, we're talking about generous ministry. Actually, this is probably a good, a good lead in there. Now, when I say ministry, I'm talking about um, all the things that we do to serve God, uh, ministering to the needs of the world around us. So sometimes that means a church activity. Sometimes it means gathering with other church people and certainly, you know, like in the video, serving at a homeless shelter, at a feeding program. Uh, so that's one way that we can do that. Uh, we have a food drive coming up, different things like that. But ministry is also what we do wherever we are as we seek to be agents of God's love and God's grace in our world. So therefore, everywhere you go and as you go, you can minister and be a minister in the name of Jesus Christ. This is something that's lived out by, his, by all followers of Jesus in our everyday and that's what I'm talking about. So I'm not just talking about church work. So there's church work, and then there's the work of the church, which is ministering wherever we are. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, but sometimes when you know, we hear the word ministry, you get, we can think narrowly you know, about uh, clergy or people who are in the ministry, so to speak. I, I remember I was at a conference uh, this spring. It was a bunch of different... Uh, people from around New England, and we had a time of you know, hundreds of people, a time, time of worship together, and there was a band, and they were very good, very vibrant worship. And this leader got up, and he started praying for the people in the room. And he, said, he prayed, Lord, there are some people in this room who are in ministry. And he went on to pray for those folks. And I was standing there, and I almost yelled out, we're all in ministry! Now, I won't do that. Because I won't rebuke somebody from the floor, you know, just to, you know, yell it out because I think they're wrong. Because I'm so afraid somebody's going to do that to me. <laughs> Honestly, there was, I was, um, I was preaching, a, a, we were preaching through Isaiah this summer, and I was up here getting ready to, to speak, and I look out, and there's about, right here in this room, there was a very prominent Old Testament scholar, and an expert in the Hebrew language, which I am not at anywhere near that level. And I'm thinking, this man is going to stand up and rebuke me. <laughs> and he's going he's to call me out for my sloppy use of Hebrew language. And so the whole time I'm on edge. So anyway, so we don't do that. Um, but, but we are all, I, but I am passionate about the fact that we are all ministers, every one of us. And uh, ministry in Jesus' name is no joke. Okay, so we're not called to just be a social service agency to our community that has this Christian label to it or some kind of Christian motivation to it. Uh, when, I, when I'm talking about, this, the stakes are very high. As we consider what Jesus says here in this text about ministry and about what a full, generous ministry would look like for us, you're going to see that this is pretty heavy. And Jesus' earlier, his earliest followers didn't get it right all the time. They were prone to get it wrong. And I would contend that we too, just like them, are prone to get it wrong. My hope for us is that we would look at this, look at Jesus' teaching, and, and get it right. Or at least point us in the right direction. That by the grace of God, we might truly live lives of generous ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning... If you are visiting us, if you are exploring faith in God, if you are not sure, my hope for you this morning is to consider this. Consider the God of the universe. Who is the God of the universe? Is this God even in any way knowable? And if this God exists, 
is this the kind of God that serves me? Or is this the kind of God that I serve? What is my default posture towards the God of the universe if I believe this God exists? Do I serve that God or does that God serve me? And I want you to, as we talk about what it means to serve, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind if you're just exploring this. That's my hope for you to maybe sort of, um, I hope that will be helpful for you. But we're also going to hit some pretty hard things in this text and some pretty heavy things, so I just want to pray for us as we approach it. So Father God, as we open your word, Lord, I believe that your word is living and active and by your spirit comes alive as we engage with it, Lord. And I just pray that you would just make that just very real for all of us here, that as we look in your word, that you would teach us and give us the grace to even understand you, to even understand what you've called us to in a small way, Lord, or to grow in that in any way, Lord. So do your good work. We, but we ask humbly, Lord, knowing that we are calling on the God of the universe to help us and to... Um, to be our source. And so, Lord, this time is yours. And we just uh, humbly pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, four aspects of generous ministry I want to cover. Kind of go kind of quick through these. But the first is this. Generous ministry is shared ministry. Generous ministry is shared ministry. Verse 49. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We try to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Generous ministry realizes that as we serve and as we minister to the world around us, it doesn't have to be us. That God is using, God is beyond you. God is using all kinds of things to accomplish his purposes and it doesn't have to be you. And Generous ministry realizes that it can, it can give freely without expecting credit back or some kind of acknowledgement or having the privilege of being the one who, uh, you know, that you're the one who saves somebody. You're the one who accomplishes something. It can just give freely and not worry about all the results. Uh, think about it in terms of money. If you give money generously, or if you have just... If you are just so wealthy, you don't need to flaunt your money around. People who flaunt their money and their possessions are often people who are insecure about how much they have and just want to make sure people know that they have more or they have a lot. Or, but people who can just freely give and just freely live life and not have to get that back, that's, that's, where, that's a truly wealthy place to be. Ministry is the same way. If you feel truly that you have a wealth of ministry to give in the name of Jesus, you can just give it and not worry if anybody notices. Um, but I've struggled with this. I, when I was in college, you know, there's, there's you know, 12,000 students on this campus, and I was part of a Christian ministry that really sought to, to reach our campus for Jesus. But there was other groups doing it too, and we would get bugged, oh, that, we don't like the way that other group does it. Or they did that first, oh, I wish they had done it different. Or if they did it better, like we would have done it. Or, uh, you know, because we're, we're more fruitful. Or we're more authentic. Or we're more something. And it's, it, it's just from a place of poverty to think that, we, it, that I, we've got to get the credit. Or we're the only ones who can do it. Um, similarly, I, used to, I worked at a Christian summer camp. And our goal at the camp was that these children would come and these teenagers would come. They'd have a good time. 
but they would experience and know the love of Jesus Christ in their lives, to proclaim his good news to them, that they might experience it. That was our goal. Down the highway on the, another lake, it was another Christian summer camp, and their goal was to share the love of Jesus with children and teenagers who went to that camp. And I had the brilliant idea as a leader, said, you know, we should get our staff together from these two places. Now, did I say we should get the staff together to pray for one another and pray for revival in our area, our effective ministry? No. Did we get together just for mutual encouragement in this great task that God has called us to? No. I said, we got to get together and have an epic dodgeball game <laughs> to show them who the real Christian summer camp is. I think we won that game. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember all the details, and, but I am pretty sure we won that game. But what I... I'm not 100% on that, but what I am totally sure of is that camp that I worked at is all boarded up and closed down, and the one down the road is still flourishing and healthy, and I, and I sent my son to go there, and anyway, it was, um, that's kind of the end result of that. But um, you know, we can do, it's stupid. There's people ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there are those who misrepresent Jesus and misunderstand and misuse the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to speak against that. And we need to push against that. But I'm talking about people who might be different than us, maybe wouldn't do it as well as I would have, but, but God is using it all. But we want to control things. We want to be the one who, you know, makes it happen. But we're not the, we can't save anyone. I mean, you're not the Christ. You know, and you can, so we've done this before, but I want you on the count of three, just turn to someone sitting near you and just tell them you are not the Christ. Okay, one, two, three. You are not the Christ. <laughs> you are not the Christ. You're not. It's not about us. You know, even our church, you know, who will save the Merrimack Valley if we don't do it? You know, God is... Generous ministry just flows out of obedience to God. That's the important thing. Not that I'm going to get credit or get somehow be the, the one. Um... But what about on an individual level? Because you may be in a place, you know, your contribution to God's work is valuable even if you feel alone. At your place of work, you may, feel, you may be the only Christian around and feel like the, the, the good that you are doing in the name of Jesus Christ to love and to just even just to flourish in your work, to do good, excellent work at whatever God has called you to do. That it just feels like such a small contribution, but God is at work. Even, even unnoticed acts and those things done in private, God is using for his glory. And we just have to be just know that God is that wealthy that we, we are contributing to this great thing. So generous ministry is shared ministry. And um, we, we just keep that in mind. That's the first thing. Second thing, generous ministry understands God's grace and mercy. Generous ministry understands God's grace and his mercy. Look at verse 52. Jesus sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So pause there for a second. So Jesus is resolutely heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans believed that Jerusalem was not the proper location. It was not the proper center of worship, as the Jews believed. So they were not on board with helping 
Jesus or his followers. So picking up in verse 54. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Jesus says, go find me a place to, to stay. They go and they come back. They said, Jesus, we've got good news and we've got bad news. First, the bad news is this. We don't have a place to stay. They are rejecting you. Here's the good news. We can call down fire from heaven to destroy our enemies. Uh, you may not be that harsh, um, but it is human nature, at least in my experience, to feel harsh towards the sin of others to, as you seek to share the love of Jesus, as you seek to be an agent of truth and grace and kindness and love, and, and you get rejected. You know, you're kind to a coworker. You go out of your way. You go kind of above and beyond to help someone, but they don't help you when you need it. Or you've extended forgiveness to somebody, and they don't extend forgiveness back. They hold a grudge against you. And it just, it can be infuriating. And you just want them to punish because you've given so freely. Generous ministry will flow from a place that does not expect an exchange. It's a, you're giving it away freely. That's generous. When you give it away with the expectation that you will get it back, that is an exchange. That's not generosity. That's just a transaction. Generous ministry knows that it's important to be obedient to the calling, not just how well this message is received. So now, but my point here is that generous mercy understands God's, generous ministry understands God's grace and mercy. So this is a little bit of an aside, but why does Jesus rebuke them so harshly? It, it sounds silly how angry the disciples became here. It, it, it sounds almost foolish that you would call God's fire from heaven to destroy an enemy. But honestly, they're not that far off from what the Bible teaches. If you read your Bible, there is God's fire from heaven destroying his enemies. You could read in 2 Kings chapter 1, you could read in Genesis 19 and many other places. And that is offensive to people. That is People look at the Bible, they, re they read the Bible, and they see these things, and they say, they'll say something like this. I cannot believe in the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is a God of wrath who destroys enemies. I can't believe in that God. I can only believe in a God of love. And, that's, and, I, and I appreciate where that's coming from when people say that, although there's a big assumption in saying that, the assumption is that God's wrath and God's love, or God's great wrath and God's great love are incompatible. But wrath and love are not incompatible. They actually very much go hand in hand. And I know that, for example, because I have children, and I have great love for my children. And my, it's a tremendous love of a father to my children. Therefore, because that love is great, anything that would seek to destroy or harm or injure my children, you believe, better believe, my wrath is against that. And will it, with any force, stop that. My great love leads to great wrath. It actually, it, it has to be that way. I couldn't love them greatly and then just allow them to be hurt. And so... 
in conversation, somebody might say, okay, I understand that, but I don't get it because there's so much of this wrath stuff in the Old Testament. And then you've got the New Testament of the Bible, so God seems a little different. God seems there's more grace and forgiveness and less of this wrath thing. And then you have an opportunity to explain what's going on, because that's a really good observation. Jesus actually came to this earth to bring the fire of God's wrath. He said that in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus said, I have come to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Jesus said, I've come to this world to bring God's fire, and then he equates that with a baptism that he is to receive. What Jesus is saying is he's bringing the fire of God's wrath, but it's coming on him. That the fire of God's wrath and, and his, God's anger towards all that hurts his children, God's, all God's children, all his good creation, all the sin and all the brokenness and all the turning from God that destroys it, God's wrath that is towards all of that evil is now getting focused on Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is about. Jesus on the cross bears God's wrath. He didn't come to bring God's wrath, but to bear it on himself. He took the fire of God's wrath in our place so that we do not get destroyed by fire. But we have our hearts made alive and warmed by his spirit. That's where Jesus and his disciples are uh, very different from one another. They want to bring God's wrath to the enemies and Jesus is... is Jesus, as he is being crucified, blesses his enemies. He forgives them. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus did. And now our job is to proclaim what Jesus accomplished when he did that. That the price has been paid, that God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus, and that we can have forgiveness and live all new, new life. And so God will judge everyone. God will judge all sin and evil. And Jesus is going to come back, and he's bringing the fire of God's judgment. You can read about it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, particularly verses 7 and 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, and if I had time. And my Puritan forefathers, they would just preach for two hours or three, four hours at a time. And they would pray for an hour. And I'm not going to do that even though I'm feeling well. <laughs> Because I, for the sake of time, I can't trace that. But here's the thing. It's coming. But God is patient. God does not want anyone to perish. And God has provided everything that is needed to be saved. And that is our, that's the message that we have to proclaim to the world. So Jesus, and we're going to look at it in a minute, but Jesus then sends out his workers to proclaim this message. And he told them, your job is to proclaim that God's kingdom has come, that the good news is here. And if you are rejected or rebuked, when they rebuke you, your job is not to call down the fire. Your job is to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. That's what we do. So until the time that Jesus comes back, we have a, a message of good news and a ministry to extend the reality of that to the world around us. That's a we can't do that unless we understand God's grace and mercy. We can't truly minister. Because otherwise we become judgmental in our ministry or we undermine God's, uh, God's love 
we actually reduce God's love if we, if we soften that. So, um, all right, that's a heavy one. This one's even heavier. Number three. Uh, generous ministry is completely generous. Generous ministry is completely generous. That means it doesn't hold anything back. And we have three potential followers of Jesus that we learn this from. We're going to look at each of these here. Verse 57. Here comes your first would-be disciple. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The guy said, look, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is quick to remind him, if you're going to follow me, this is not going to be comfortable. You, it's going to feel like you're giving up home and comfort. Uh, and Jesus is reminding that he does not save the world by being victorious, as the world might understand being victorious, or by winning. Jesus taught, you're going to gain life by giving up your life. You're going to have to give up comfort. You're really giving up your whole life, but you're going to gain the world. Jesus' victory comes through the defeat on the cross. It, it just, this is the reality of following in this way. If you want to minister in Jesus' name and follow him, then you're, you're giving up all comfort. Then we have a second follower, a would-be follower. Verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now this request seems pretty reasonable. I have to attend to a very important and weighty family matter, Jesus, and then I'll follow you. And so Jesus' response seems kind of harsh, but you just have to notice, Jesus asked this person to follow, and their first reaction was not to drop everything and follow the reaction was to take care of something else that was more important. Jesus did call followers who left everything. He called his disciples, there was some fishermen by a lake, and he said, follow me. And they left their nets and their boats and their dad in the boat, and they followed Jesus. There was a woman at a well, and her, her goal was to get water from the well. And Jesus had a conversation with her. She realizes who Jesus is, and she goes and she leaves her jar behind. The one thing that she was trying to do is now left behind to tell other people that she has encountered the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. There was a tax collector in his booth and Jesus called him to follow him and the tax collector left behind all of his tax collecting stuff, whatever you use to collect the taxes, he left it to follow. Here it is Jesus says, follow me, and the response is, well, first let me something else. A third follower, would-be follower, potential disciple, verse 61. Still another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, here's that phrase again, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He said, look, you can't, you can't say that you're going to plow a straight line and then start looking around. You're going to plow a crooked furrow. You're going to, break, you're going to hit a rock and break your plow. If Jesus preached this today, he'd said, you can't put your hand to the steering wheel and still text your friends and think you can drive in a straight line on the highway. I, I, we know this. 
You can't take, he said, you're going to keep your eyes on me and on me alone. That's how this works. Uh, when, when people start to say, yes, Jesus bought this. Yes, Jesus first this. Yes, Jesus, if only this. He says that's unfit for his kingdom. It's described in scripture as being a living sacrifice that you give up your life, that you sacrifice your life, but you stay alive in a whole new way. And then you can do this. Now, at this point, you, you might hear this teaching and say, well, you know, we're supposed to serve. Okay, it's one thing to serve my neighbors and serve the needy and the homeless and uh, serve excellently in my work and all these things, but you, this is even harder. I've got to be a, a freak extremist for Jesus, forsaking everything else in my life. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's not what I'm saying. It's what Jesus is saying here. And that's a, that's a, that is a high calling. That is a, a difficult calling, but think about this. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the creator of all things, seen and unseen. The God who, uh, who sustains life, who every atom in the universe and every molecule is held together by his providence. That you woke up this morning and had breath in your lungs enough to breathe and live. And that is the God who created all things. That same God is extending an invitation to be restored to him, even though he has been rejected and he has been sinned against and violated a relationship, he in his grace is extending his love to you. And he is providing everything you need for that to be part of his providence and goodness and all of the work that he is doing. He is inviting you to be a minister for him in his name. And you are not worthy of that. I am not worthy of that. But because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we are counted worthy. If this is the God of the universe. That is not, that's the God I'm talking about. This is not a God who you would then say, well, God's my buddy. Or God is my divine assistant when I'm feeling a little down. That God's just a helper. This is Lord of all. And we are called to fully surrender and follow the God of the universe. To minister in his name. Think about generous ministry. You cannot minister generously. You can't give yourself to other people unless you've fully given yourself to him. And then you can, then this generous ministry makes sense and it flows. Generous ministry is completely generous. We give our whole life to him and then allow him to work through us. But you'll notice that this text does not say how these people responded. It leaves that weight there for us. And it leaves that weight on us right now as we consider Jesus' call to these people and he, his call on us too. The weight of that rests and waits for a response. How will you respond? Last thing, fourth. Generous ministry is for everyone. Luke chapter 10 here, verse 1. After this, the Lord appeared, uh, he, I'm sorry, he appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town 
and place where he was about to go, and he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the fastest answer to prayer of any prayer that I can see in the Bible. Jesus says, verse 2, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So Jesus gets his disciples. He says, okay, bow your heads. Ask God to send workers. Amen. Go, I'm sending you, is verse 3. Prayer answered. There's a huge opportunity. There's a, there's a huge need out there. There's this huge harvest. And you're going to ask the Lord, and it's you. Congratulations, go. And it's not going to be easy. I'm sending you out like sheeps, like, sheep, like lambs among wolves, he says. Um, and he sends out these 72 others. The great thing about the 72 others is it shows us, because Jesus had just sent out earlier, you read through the Gospel of Luke, he had just sent out 12 special messengers, apostles, to have a ministry of healing and a proclamation of God's kingdom. He gives the same exact ministry to these 72 others. He sent them out just the same. We are all sent. We all have the same ministry. It's not just about the special ones and the, the professionals and the clergy. And the, it's, it's everyone. This ministry is for everyone. It doesn't always feel good. Neil Hudson was, he was here preaching last year and he was looking at this text and it was funny. He said, you know, others, it, you go home, you, you've been with Jesus, you go to your home and your family says, oh, how was your time with Jesus today? You say, well, he picked a team of, of 12. Oh, did you make the team? No, I, I didn't make the team. Well, who made the team? Peter, some tax collector, Judas. Oh, you didn't make the team? No. Well, did you get a role? I mean, you have any kind of, well, what's, your, what's your job? Other. I'm an, I'm an other. Now, the number 72 here is, a, in, in the Bible, 72 is sort of a symbolic number, represents, uh, the, really represents the nations of the world. It represents the whole world. That this ministry is not just for the special, it's for the others, it's for all. We are all sent. God has always, from, from the very beginning, God blesses so that we could be a blessing. That we have received the blessing. Freely we have been given. Freely we can give. It's for everybody. And you are, Scripture teaches, you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which he prepared in advance for you to do. God has handcrafted you. God has shaped you. To be you. You're the only you. He's put you where you are with your heart and your passions and your abilities and your gifting and your location and time and place. Just you are in that place for his very purposes. God made you for that. Now you are free to just minister and just freely live life and flourish just the way he's created you. All of your life and your experiences, even your negative experiences, God is, re can re God is redeeming and can redeem for his glory and for his kingdom. That is how our God works. You're, and that's everywhere you are. There, and, and many of you work, and you spend most of your waking hours at, at work. Your work matters to God. And your work matters to me, and I pray for you and people in workplaces that they might do work so excellently that it just glorifies God. 
the, the, the whatever you're producing or the services your firm offers or the way you treat your clients and the way you interact and the way that you go about your day brings such glory to God that your business would, would flourish and it would be for the benefit of our community and our nation and our world. It's just where you are, where God has called you. Now that can be hard. And we live in a world that's broken and our work can be very frustrated and what we want to do is help people just explore further how God has shaped them, how God is calling them to serve and use their gifts. So to that end, in November, it's not in your bulletin yet, it'll look in the weeks to come, but on the 27th of November, we're going to have a workshop where we sit and talk about how God has shaped us. And we're going to work together to try to understand this. How can I know my gifts? How can I know how God has made me and where he's placed me and how I might flourish and minister generously to his glory in that setting. So that's a practical, if you want it, but you don't know how to get it, that's a good practical next step for you. Okay, that's four. That, we hit a lot today, okay? <laughs> that was a lot. But is this, may God grant you the grace to just generously serve wherever he calls you. You don't have to get the credit. Uh, you don't have to be the one. God is using all of us together for his glory. We don't have to, if, if it doesn't go well, you don't have to call fire from heaven against your enemies. Just know that God is in control. Proclaim the message of his grace. May he give us the grace to learn what it means to completely surrender our lives for this beautiful ministry. And may we all embrace it together. Amen.